Welcome to the IBJJF podcast, the official podcast of the International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation. Tune in to hear interviews with the top coaches and athletes in the sport, as well as breakdowns and analysis of the biggest events. Let's dive into this week's episode. Welcome back to the IBJJF podcast, first IBJJF podcast of 2024. My guest today is Malachi Edmund. Malachi is a 2021 world silver medalist, 2023 European gold medalist. He's going to be competing at the upcoming European Championships in just a couple weeks in Paris, France. Malachi, how are you doing? What's up, Danny? How are you? I'm good. I'm doing great. I'm really excited for this conversation. Last year at the Europeans, you kicked off 2023 with an amazing performance, one gold. So I want to start with that. You faced Diego Pato in the final last year in the light featherweight division. He was someone that you faced in the final of the Worlds in 2021. You ended up losing that match, but you came back into the Europeans, advanced to the final. What were your thoughts going into that final match with Diego Pato? Uh, like I said, with um, we did an interview after I won, um, or actually before uh, we even fought. We did an interview. Ask you asked me like who was I looking to fight and things like that, yeah. and it was kind of the same. Um, fighting him, I didn't want to bring anything old into the match. Like I wanted it to be a blank slate. It's a whole new tournament, whole new year. So I didn't want to bring anything from my last match into this one. So he was just another guy standing in the way of, you know, the European title. So I didn't want to boost it too much in my head because I know I probably would have let emotions come before like my mental. So that's how I kind of took it, like clean slate. It was a very close match. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how it went down and how you ended up getting the victory? Um, I, I think strategy wise, I was a little bit of he- ahead. So that helped a lot. Um, getting the two early in the match helped because he had to come back instead of me having to attack him. So I think I do a lot better when I'm on the attack. Um, and even if I'm ahead, it makes it worse for people because I don't, I try not to stop the whole time. So being ahead in the match definitely helped. And then I think I got another two or at least an advantage that put me up just a little bit more. And I wouldn't say it was out of reach, but it made it harder because that advantage was late in the match. So it really hurt things. Um, he's a really good competitor, but you don't see him uh, fight from behind a lot. So I think it was nice to get that lead and see what, what he threw at me. Yeah, I want to get your take a little bit more on Pato as a competitor because he's had so much success, especially recently. He's now a two-time Black Belt World two-time, Champion. Yeah. Two-time, yeah. He's he's won a lot of really important tournaments, of course, the Worlds, other tournaments as well. So what do you think makes him, Pato, such a dangerous and special opponent at Light Feather? Uh, his control of the match. I think once you get into his game, you're, you're really stuck. And a lot of people get stuck in his worm, and he has a really good ball as well. So... I think you can't let him get on the offensive too much. I think people get hypnotized because he's not a very, I wouldn't say he's slow, but he can hypnotize you and make it look like, oh man, it's going to be a nice control match. And then he'll start to turn that speed up, but it's too late. He's already locked into his worm and things like that. So he's very methodical, I would say, and can easily hypnotize you. Like in 2021 at the Worlds in the final, uh, I came out a little bit slow. 
and it, he caught me off guard once he started to speed up. So 2023, I kind of knew like, all right, so it's a new match, but we're not gonna, you know, let him push the pace. We're gonna push the pace the whole time. But he's a, an amazing competitor, obviously two-time world champ, but he's really good. Like you mentioned, you were able to get the lead early. You got the victory, got the gold medal. And what was really, really cool to me about that gold medal performance was that you, that was your first gold medal at a major tournament at any belt. And you've been competing for a long time in major championships at all the belt levels. You've always done really, really well, always making the podium or almost always making the podium. But that was your first gold and it came at black belt at the Europeans, a major championship. Tell me about that feeling and just how that added to the overall feeling and sense of accomplishment you got from that victory. It was great. Um, definitely, like you said, it was a long hiatus of gold because my first gold was in 2013 as a juvenile when I won the juvenile world title. So it was kind of like, all right, we're stepping into like manhood. We're going from juvenile to adult, but I'm going to keep that steam rolling. And I wouldn't say it was discouraging to not get a gold, but it was kind of like, oh man, next year, oh man, next year. And around like purple and brown was kind of like, all right, when am I going to stop the, hey, next year's my year kind of thing. And, you know, everyone says that at the end of the year. Gee season's over. Oh, next year's my year, man. I'm, I'm going to do it. And it kind of like trickled down to like black belt. And I'm like, oh, man, like games are over. I'm technically a white belt again. So I don't want to wait, you know, six or seven years to say, oh, man, next year's my year. So getting that European title was a nice kickstart into the goals so now i'm really looking forward to getting back into that mindset and knocking down some more grand slam titles you said you weren't too discouraged going those 10 years without a gold medal at a major championship but i'm sure there were people and there were things that kind of helped you along the way and and pushed you to keep getting better and keep striving for that gold medal so can you talk about some of the things and the strategies that you used to just stay motivated and disciplined to keep keep going with that lifestyle of grinding for the gold medal even though you, you hadn't gotten it up to that point for sure. I will say the team and family camaraderie we have around here is like, it, it doesn't let you keep that chip on your shoulder. Like you always want to have a chip on your shoulder, but no one's going to keep you down here. Like, oh man, you're going into your black belt year and you've never won anything at a major, you know, any goals, you're never going to do it. That's never said around here. Like, um, the motivation around here is just way too high, especially being the underdog coming into a lot of things like we're not really talked about like that. So that's kind of like, hey, this is your chance. And everyone has that going into tournaments from our team, like family, your family, everyone thinks you can do it. So that was a big motivator. Another thing is like the coaches um, never giving up on us was huge. Uh, especially like around purple, I started to have a job so that I could pay to go to tournaments and stuff. But still, like a lot of coaches would be like, oh, no, no, this guy's got an outside job. It's, he's splitting jujitsu and life. He's never going to do it. But my coaches would just motivate me and find those extra spaces for me to train or extra times for me to drill and work out and stuff like that to help me get to where I wanted to be. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm delusional. My coaches are delusional, but no matter how much, you know, they, they're going to try to get you to that goal, no matter what you're putting in, even if you don't reach it, we're going to still try our hardest to reach it. So I would just say the motivation and, you know, team family guys around you pushing to make you the best. 
Well, there's definitely no delusion. You ended up getting the gold and you've had yeah. other amazing performances at Black Belt as well. You had a great 2023 season. Now let's talk a little bit about 2024. You're going back to Paris, France to compete in the light featherweight division again at the Europeans. Got a really tough division. You got guys like Zach Kaina, Tomoyuki Hashimoto, Mayram Alves, Hiago George, to name a few of, of, of the many excellent competitors in that division. Have you looked at the list of competitors for the division and how do you feel like the division is evolving and growing over time? Light Feather's always really stacked, but but I want to hear your thoughts on how it's been getting be even better. Yeah, I've looked at it here and there. I haven't checked in in the last couple of days, but the last time I checked, I will say there are a lot of young guys coming into Light Feather, um, especially during COVID. The tournament scene kind of slowed down a little bit, but people definitely didn't stop training. So now that it's back and flowing, um, there are a lot of brown belt guys that, you know, were off the scene a little bit or in the UAE or stuff like that that are starting to move up to black. And even the young guys like Zach, um, who are coming from AOJ, they're they're starting to make a name for themselves at the black belt um, level. And it's, it's exciting. There's fresh blood, you know. Um, the Light Feather Division was run by the Meow Brothers and Iago George and Tiago Bajos for a long time. So to see that um, title pass around is awesome. So I'm hoping to, you know, throw my hat in the rig and grab a title while I'm out there as well. So I know you're someone who likes to study the game quite a bit, and you threw out some names already from the Light Feather Weight Division guys who kind of dominated, but I want to get your take on who this, who some of the guys were that you watched coming up, who were some of the black belts that you looked up to and whose games you tried to emulate. For sure. I actually looked higher and then lower. So when I first started around like Blue Belt, um, my coach, Macedonia, actually had me watching Galval because he thought I was going to be a little bit bigger, thought I was going to be like middleweight. <laughs> Fortunately, I didn't get that high. So we switched and pivoted. Um, and I actually started watching Guy a little bit. Um, but I didn't watch Guy too much because I like the exciting guy, which was Bruno. So I watched a lot of Bruno Malfacine, Um And I tried to get my game like his, but he's so fast and so technical that I went a little bit higher and I started to watch some Michael Lange and some Lucas Capri because they're a little bit more methodical, a little bit slower and um, a lot more tactical with their techniques. Not saying that Bruno Malvacine isn't tactical, but he's a lot faster than his opponents. So it's um, a little bit easier to watch guys like Lucas Capri and Michael Lange to slow things down. And I uh, also watched a lot of low because I feel like we have kind of like the same dexterity. Low is long and lanky. And I feel like for light feather, I'm pretty tall and have like long arms and legs. So I try to watch a lot of them coming up. Now I watch a lot of Mergali because Mergali is kind of the same. Uh, he has like longer arms and legs, even though he's getting into a lot of nogi. Before, you know, starting in 2019, we started coming into his own at Black. I watched a lot of Mergali and um, starting to watch a little bit of uh, Eric Minich. That's amazing. Yeah, you, you beat me to it. I was going to ask you which modern guys you like to watch next. So yeah. thank you for that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, modern guys, definitely. Eric Minich, um, Felipe Andrew, uh, Tynan. I love watching Tynan. He's super technical. Um, and when I'm feeling like I want to watch like the dog or the guy that just goes right in there. It's Elijah, Elijah Dorsey. I, I got to watch him every time. He's so hype. 
That's so funny. I, that was literally my next question. I was going to ask you about Elijah. He's someone who, who had a lot of success last year. I don't want to say it was a breakout year for him because everyone, a lot of people who are in the jujitsu scene know, knew who Elijah was, but he had a great performance at Europeans and just great performances throughout all of 2023. Tell me about what it's like to train with Elijah and what you just think makes him such a great competitor. Man, uh, training with Elijah, I probably have to take like four or five ibuprofen every day. <laughs> he's a bruiser um but no he's super technical um his pressure is like out of this world um it's something that's hard to deal with especially being light feather uh every day like a lot of people talk about how in the training room lucas Lepree and michael Langi would like battle and it'd be an amazing battle it it feels the same even though elijah's two weight classes above me he still can bring it back you know his weight and just flow and roll so it's amazing it's scary when he does turn on uh, we call him the terminator so when he does turn <laughs> on the terminator it's you, you don't want to be there you don't want to be there at all because he can just grind you through the mat and just get you stuck he's also competing at the europeans he'll be back at lightweight yes. i want to hear your take on elijah that and, and just that division and how you think he's going to do at lightweight Oh, uh, he has some really good guys um, at lightweight. I know Espen is there. Um, I know there are some other guys too. But man, Elijah Dorsey is hard to deal with. Very hard to deal with. So um, a lot of guys are resorting to tying Elijah up. But I just, I just think that's the worst thing for you to do because once you tie him up and he resorts to dropping that pressure down, pressure passing is the last place you want to be under Elijah Dorsey. Um, I've never rolled with Buchecha, but it's probably the closest <laughs> thing that I've seen it or felt was Elijah Dorsey. It kind of reminds me of like Hadolfo Buchecha when they drop that pressure down. It's they're like an immovable force, so it's it's going to be rough for those guys at light. So I want to talk a little bit about your team, Team Lloyd Irvin. You've been representing the team since you've been competing, since you started training. And your team has always had a reputation for really hard training, a lot of drilling. And I just want to get your take on how that's kind of evolved and changed over the years. Or is that exactly how it is now? Or is it still a lot of drilling, a lot of really hard training? How has that training environment kind of changed and evolved over time, especially as you've gotten to the highest level in the sport? Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's the same. Um, the one thing that I like that um, when I've gone to other gyms and seen like their kind of like high training style, the one thing I like is people check their egos at the door because we do a lot of shark tanks, a lot of things that are going to make you tired and it's going to make like the the punk in you come out or it's going to make the dog in you come out. And a lot of people, when they get to that point to choose, am I going to be a dog for the rest of this practice? Or am I going to be a punk for the rest of this practice? They'll start to do things that are dirty or they'll start to quit or they'll start to you'll just show like, all right, I don't want to be here at this practice. I think that's the opposite for our team. I think a lot of people rise to that occasion, even if they're getting their butt whooped, you know? So say we're doing like a guard passing drill and you're in there for... 30 seconds on and it's a new person every 30 seconds, but you're the guy on the bottom and everyone's trying to pass your guard. If I'm in there for five or six minutes and I'm just getting beat down, the rest of the team is motivating me no matter how tired I am, no matter if I'm going to turtle, no matter what, nobody's like just destroying you. They're motivating you the whole time to keep you going. So I would say like 
it's hard nose, but it's fun. So even the bad practices, you're going to walk out feeling like, all right, it's on. I, I, I feel pretty accomplished, even though that whole time I was getting my butt whooped, but <laughs> I made it, you know. I liked what you said about how your team does a good job of keeping their egos checked and leaving your egos at the door for training. I think that's something that everyone struggles with or has has, has faced and has struggled with just because of human nature. So can yeah. you give people some tips for maybe leaving their egos at the door and just kind of explain why you think that's the best to get the most out of your training? For sure. I think the one major thing with egos um, and checking egos is finding the right team because certain teams will allow you to have big egos and be like the big fish in a small pond. You know what I mean? And if you hang around those teams that allow you to do that, it's harder for you to grow. So a lot of team, a lot of people will go to a team that's not that big and be the man and then go into another gym and get beat up and just never go back to that gym again. And I think that hurts jujitsu because you get a lot of those guys like that are false guys that will be like, oh yeah, you know, I'm this, I'm that, you know, I can do this, I can do that, I tap out black belts. And that's that's cool if that's the area you wanna be in. But when you come into jujitsu, we can just sniff that out and it's like, you're hurting jujitsu. So it's just better if you even just call your, your, you're training something else. Just don't call it jujitsu because I feel like that's the good thing about jujitsu. A lot of people check their ego, you know, especially when they go on big teams. If you come here or if you go to AOJ or if you go to Autos or if you go to Checkmat, when you go to those main gyms, those guys are just rolling and having fun, you know. Nobody's getting angry if they're getting tapped out by a purple belt or if they're getting tapped out by the up and coming blue belt because it's only helping jujitsu grow. So I think finding the right team is like the best thing to help you check your ego. That's awesome. So I know you have a lot of big goals for 2024. We talked about a few of them before we started recording. So why don't you tell us about your plans for this season and maybe some of, some of the goals that you have for 2024? For sure. Well, first, obviously, we talked about it, trying to um, knock down that two-time, you know, two-time European champion. Um, and... You guys got to watch out. I'm coming for subs this year. Last year, uh, we were uh, just talking. Um, we were writing down our goals for the year on our team board. We have a big whiteboard that everyone writes down their goals on a sheet of paper and puts it on the whiteboard. And uh, kind of like the one behind me. But um, one of the goals on my board is to get more subs because a lot of my matches last year came down to a point or, you know, two points or an advantage. And I definitely want to showcase that I can finish matches. So more subs is definitely on the way in 2024 um more grand slam titles for sure uh world title is always the main goal but um coming into 2024 definitely want to knock down more than just the european um i upset up, upset myself a little bit after getting that european title and kind of going cold into the rest of the season so the plan is to come in hot and just stay hot there's one other goal you talked about before we started recording a certain place you want to compete this year. So why don't you talk about that too? Yes. Brazil is definitely calling my name. So I definitely am going to try to make my way to Brazil this year. If it's Brasileiros, it, it will. Everyone's saying it has to be Brasileiros. So <laughs> it's either Brasileiros or something that gets me to Brazil. And um, I'm also getting pretty old. So <laughs> you may see me in Las Vegas as well. You may see me in Las Vegas. 
Wow. So, so you qualify for, for masters this year. Is that unfortunately I do and <laughs> guys in the gym won't, won't let me let it down. Uh, someone even wrote on my sticky note that I'm going to be masters world champ as a joke. So, <laughs> well, it's an amazing gonna... title to add to your resume if you do become a, a masters world champ. So definitely that'd be, that'd definitely. be cool to see. Definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Malachi, for your time. Really appreciate it. It was really cool to watch all your great performances last year. You've had such an inspirational career and and just stuck it out and went through those 10 years without winning the gold. Finally got the gold last year in 2023. So really excited to see you win some more golds in 2024 and beyond. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For sure. Is there anyone you want to thank or anything else you want to say before we wrap it up? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, always want to thank my team, Kim Irvin, thank my coaches, all my teammates, Elijah, Corey, you know, Angelo, all the kids that are watching, um, everyone back in Brazil, everyone in Europe, uh, my fiance for always dealing with my craziness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's about it. My mom and God. Uh, but yeah, thank you for having me on here as well. Of course. We can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks competing in Paris at the Europeans. Thanks everyone for watching. Thanks Malachi again for your time. We'll see you guys soon. Take care. Thank you for listening to the IBJJF podcast. Be sure to head over to IBJJF.com for the latest news and events from the International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation. We hope you enjoyed the show.